Yeah. This is it. Three, right, three two, two, one. one. Let's, Let's go! go! Oh! We're back. <laughs> we back. We back, Skips. I'm your host, Troy Tittlemeyer, the PBE Podcast, and joined by Skips, the co-host. He looks like he's sitting up in Mammoth, maybe. Is that Mammoth? Yeah, this is Mammoth. This is Mammoth. All Crystal right. Lake. Crystal Lake. It's way better than the uh, the current background I have. So, yeah, we're, we're just going to keep this one here for a while. Summer field trip 2021 for PBE podcast. We're going to Crystal Lake. <laughs> Do some fishing. Do some. Let's go, man. Well, what what else you been up to? You said fishing in Montana in the last show. We haven't really caught up from uh, from that point. You got home. You got yep. a girlfriend. You're running the coast, dude. I just <laughs> living the dream right now. The COVID dream. 2020 is is bouncing back in a good way. In a good way. <laughs> and then i mean we touched that on the last show congratulations again i mean family grew plus one definitely bigger news than like me going hunting Congrats. up in montana <laughs> <laughs> joe james Littlemeyer, man he's gonna grow up and do something with rocks something with business and and enjoy a good life man i i, ho I sure hope so that's all we can hope for he's healthy he's happy same with the family overall uh, we, we're doing our thing, just being precautious about, you know, events and restaurants and bars and the old way shit used to be. Yeah, We're just laying low, man. I mean, it's, it's yeah. natural. Especially with the numbers spiking recently. It's just, right. you know, just take a step back. No need to go out. Just, right. just chill out for a bit. Yep. Can't tell that to my dad though. <laughs> 60 year old. He's racing dirt bikes on the weekend, eating a hot dog at the snack bar. <laughs> just, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's like, hey, I, I feel like he's safe, I guess. He I just, mean, yeah, he's retired, you know? He's good. Yeah. He's good. He's ready to go. Man. Oh, man. But today was a phenomenal show. I mean, for anyone who's into the mineral side or the business side specifically of oil and gas, I know we're, we're a heavy technical show, but this was, I mean, a learning experience is, is an understatement. Right. I mean, what what were your thoughts on today's show, T-Roy? Dude, my psychology certainly has changed. That's driving the motivation for me on what I'm paying attention to. It's been changed from this show, without question, dude. There is reason that oil and gas is going to be fine, that oil and gas needs to be invested in, that the, the industries are all moving forward. We all need to be just more aware of ESG and how this money actually gets spent and put into an operation. If you don't fundamentally know and have in your model right now that you are taking ESG seriously, and if there's an easy way to take your emissions and what you were doing before, calculating them now and showing a delta, a negative delta of emissions and helping this ESG kind of get its footholding in the process, you're not going to get money. That's nope. fucking reality. You're going to get money because you can do that and you can sustain it. And you know what? We can get better. And that, that argument is there. That business mm -hmm. is here. And, uh, and so let's do it, man. Applying new yeah. ideas, new technology. Let's go make it a win for everybody involved in that industry and support the others. Exactly. And then again, to introduce our guest today, Mr. Tim Powell, the legend. Tim Powell, sir. Hey, From uh, the Oil and Gas Council. When All I right, need a little ego boost, I know who to call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, here's one for you. You look like Vince Vaughn. So the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <my God>. Yeah. <laughs> hey, dude. 
I've been laughing extra hard because I think Vince Vaughn is one of the funniest dudes on the planet. He's also six foot eight. I mean, I'm just thinking the whole time, like, oh my gosh, man, this guy has to be, you're the real deal, man. You understand relationships. You understand hard work. You're great communicator. You're smart. And you look like Vince Vaughn. Opportunities are ahead. Uh, thanks, boys. It, it was fun to, to be on. Uh, enjoyed the chat. I enjoy the energy too, right? It's uh rolling up the sleeve, not taking ourselves too too seriously. It's it's a refreshing angle, right? I've enjoyed yeah. being on. Man, well, give me a second to to pull up LinkedIn and uh and I'm gonna read your bio. So this is kind of new. <laughs> You're also gonna see what I see. And that is Tim Powell. And By the way, that is an old picture. Like I, I don't know when I updated that, but that is not <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's your that was sent to your grandma when you graduated like undergrad or maybe <laughs> that's oh. like <laughs> i was on uh i did a zoom call the other day and i was like wow like this is not a flattering angle you know yeah. <laughs> so we were up here you're like you're like hey timmy it looks better if you can you know lift the, the camera up a little bit that was your way of saying guy you look fat you know <laughs> <laughs> Dude, hey it we didn't want to say anything but yeah. You know, <laughs> that is it's digital technology and how your perception could be very different from the from below and from an eye, at eye level. Without question, you look like a different human almost. man. <laughs> uh, but you are the SVP of America's at Oil and Gas Council and host of the Minerals and Royalty podcast. And what is clearly dropping out in the beginning of this show is your incredible perspective because of the work and because of the 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 natural which i love the most your natural affinity for those situations and those contacts that you really have been living a dream and thinking about all of this stuff and putting it in perspective and making successful strategies on the business side the conception part of the show was motivational for me, man. And and so let's scroll down for a second because that's who you are. You got 9,800 followers. Here we go. Business development executive working in the upstream oil and gas finance sectors with a regional focus on the Americas, Canada, U.S., Mexico, and South America. Personal strengths include networking, new business development, upstream ENP, finance and strategy planning, values, face-to-face uh, -face interaction, you value face-to-face -face interaction with clients, and long-term relationship building. I, yeah, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't have written that better myself. <laughs> <laughs> Who did that? Who's the mark? Who did that? I need to find them. Whoever uh, yeah, dude. I, mean, I, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, it, it's been fun. I told you I've been with oil council for almost seven years and, and now I'm a podcaster. Who the hell would have thought that in the beginning of the year, but it's been it a is. blast. That's why I'm here and meeting fun, new people and smart people. And yeah. it's, uh, you know, something, something around, just being on the record and chopping it up is, is an intriguing thing for me. It intimidates some people, but I, I just love it. Right. You, and in podcasting, you get going and you forget you're on a podcast. It's just like, oh, yeah. it's just like a normal conversation. People get comfortable and, right. uh, and it's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying it. So thank yeah, you. it's like, we're sitting in the backyard, having a couple beers. That's all <laughs> it is. The, the conception <laughs> part of the show with Tim Powell and, uh, and <clears throat> sir, for me, it's, it's all about perspective. 
and, and really getting into a, a good discussion about, you know, what your experiences are and how this developed along the way. I'm excited to hear your story and how this, uh, this you know, this got here with Oil and Gas Council and everything else. Let's uh, let's talk about it, man. Cool. So I'll, I'll give the, uh, the Cliff Notes version of, um, you know, my career and how I got here and uh, and then kind of COVID creating what I'm focusing on now. Right. So context on we're speaking mid-November 2020 right now. So I, uh, I grew up in Long Island, New York, was a golfer and a golfing family, wanted to uh, be the white tiger, uh, you know, <laughs> like golf, idolized Tiger Woods. He was the man growing up, winning everything. You know, I uh, mean, still the man. Still the man, yeah. And, <laughs> and I had a great first round yesterday, by the way, in the Masters. <laughs> Fired up about that, but <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> so, so grew up wanted to be a pro golfer. Um, wow, a lot competed a lot. New York oil and gas was not even a thing. You know, you, you talk about gas, you think gasoline at, at the Shell pump, right? I mean, you really just yeah. are totally separated in the Northeast. It's not a career track you think of. Wow. But um, got recruited, uh, played uh, on a golf scholarship at Rice University in Houston. Oh shit! You were a collegiate golf player. Yeah, so that I got yeah. down to Houston, which you know you kind of see where this story's going. Got me into. Yeah, all I was gonna say now in Houston. Yeah, yeah. So I, I get down to Houston. Good school, warm weather. Um, <laughs> good golf. You know, about a year and a half in, I was like, Ugh, doesn't look like the pro the pro story dream is gonna come true. I still <laughs> loved it. Was having a great time at college, but. Um, it just wasn't competing at a high enough level to make it all the way. So started looking at, okay, what am I going to do? Came from a business background. You know, my uh, grandfather started a family business in, in the early seventies. My uncle, my father run it today. It's not an oil and gas. It's in a different industry. I was never involved in it, but just kind of had that entrepreneurial business DNA in me somewhere. So I took a, I was an econ major at Rice which there's no business major, there's no finance major. Econ's kind of a catch-all for if you want to be a banker, if you want to be a PE guy, if you want to go into consulting, you want to go into business, it's kind of what you do, right? Mm -hmm. So I take a finance, uh, a capital markets class my junior year, and I'm like, banking, that's it. I want to be in banking. You know, let, let me start sign up for internships, all, all the whole nine yards, right? Goldman, City, JP Morgan. Wow, what does that mean? Yeah. You want to be in the, you want to be a banker. What is, what are this? What's the job entail? Just at a higher level for for me to get an understanding of that. I mean, well, I mean, uh, you know, at that point, I didn't really know, but I, I was. It was is a capital markets class. They're talking about bubble markets and the dynamics of it, and it was just intriguing. And you know, I'm an econ major at the time, so everything is around kind of problem solving and you know different types of economic theory. And so it was just a real life application of all that, not the academia application. Mm -hmm. So I was intrigued. So I said, okay, let me, let me get an internship. Let me get in a bank and cut my teeth. And I, uh, I, I couldn't even get an interview. It was a bummer. I mean, I really couldn't get anywhere uh, just to even sit down. I, I like to think of myself as a people person, uh, somewhat charismatic, right? I can get <laughs> along with folks. I'm like, man, if I can just get a freaking shot, uh, you know, I can... I can work hard on anyone and I couldn't get that at bat. So wow. at Rice, uh, Bobby Tudor, who's the chairman of Tudor Pickering Holt, oh, he, cool. uh, he played basketball there. And when I was at school, he and his wife donated a bunch of money and built 
Tudor Fieldhouse, which is the athletic facility, the basketball court. Um, and wow. so he cut the ribbon when I was a sophomore. So wow. the Tudor name was big, especially for student athletes. And so we had a student athlete career day. And, you know, I, uh, everyone's online to meet Bobby Tudor, of course, right? And uh, I, I got up to him and I said, sir, I'm not here to beg for a job, but I want to get into banking and I can't even get in the door. What do I do? I was like, my GPA is right in the cut line. So some of the banks, I don't even qualify, but wow. I'm a hard worker. What do I do, sir? And he's like, screw banks like mine. He goes, don't go big bracket, go boutique. <laughs> he was like, knock on doors, work for free. He's like, we're in Houston, man. He goes, there's, there's go. no banks. Wow. He, goes, he goes, somebody's going to want a hardworking kid from Rice that's willing to work for free and you're not going to know anything and you'll cut your teeth. I'm like, all right, I'm fired up, right? I'm like, I got a plan. Uh, so I go back to my class. I Google Investment Bank Houston. And I remember the first firm that popped up, CFAW Houston. It's a little boutique merchant bank. Email the guys. They responded three minutes. Tim, great timing. Our analyst is leaving next week. Why don't you come in? What? Didn't message anyone else. Came in. <laughs> first try. First try. First try. Yeah, first try. <laughs> Uh, sat down uh, with the senior banker, Larry Rogers. And um, I was like, sir, I'll work for free. And I just don't want an opportunity. He goes, Tim, Tim. He goes, don't tell people you work for free. They'll take advantage of you. He's like, I'll give you some money. <laughs> hey, don't do anything for free. Yeah. Man, you're good at it. You don't do anything for free if you're good at it. That's just absolute fact. Yeah. No. So listen, they always, uh, I've always had um, people looking out for me, right? Right place, right time. You work hard, you put out good intentions, and people get your back, not taking advantage of you, I think. And make you a connection. That stuff, but. Your ability, you're a people person, of course you are. Uh, your connection with Tudor that day, bang. Dude, I'm doing everything I can. What yeah. the, you know? And he's going, here's some motivation. And it, that's a moment, dude, because when you went back to the same comments of, you know, I got to file a job, find a job, blah, 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 you're going right back in the same situation, except for all of a sudden, Bam, all that momentum has generated like entropy. And you are now just going on this ride of these connections instantly, instantly. That's incredible, man. So, and, uh, and also kind of like you were saying too, like being thrown into one of these smaller shops, now you're going to be around a lot more opposed to being at a Goldman Sachs or a JP Morgan or something like that, where now it's like, hey, now they're going to put more on your plate. That just means you're going to learn a lot more. You're going to like expand. Yeah, it's just... I mean, for me, I would be like, that's the one I want to do in the first place. <laughs> this bank, this is a boutique bank. There's three bankers and they basically worked on straight commissions, right? So they were part of a global brand, but mm -hmm. they own the branch and I'm sure they paid, you know, uh, like licensing fees to get access to global resources or a cut of the deals. But for the most part, it's small shop. So yeah. I was, you know, I was doing the bitch work and spreadsheets and everything. Just stand up, right, as an analyst. But then they would bring me in on deal pitches. They would bring me in on meetings and I would, you know, be the fly in the wall. And they afterwards they whiteboard uh, you know, the structure. They did a lot of turnarounds for family businesses. Wow. And that was and they, you know, still close with all three of those partners today. Wow. And it was so great, right? And when they closed the deal, so you know they would close like three, four, maybe five big deals a year, and they were big size checks for each of them. So they were happy. So it was like very chunky revenue for for them personally and i would walk in and the scotch would be out it's like 8 30 in the morning i go oh <laughs> looks like a deal closed i go guys what, what are you doing scott 
Timmy, pull up a chair. Let's have some scotch. We closed the deal today, baby. Life was good. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, the, it, it was probably a better education because they kind of took me under their wing, but I got to see a lot more. Whereas I would have learned different things and sure. exposed a lot other things out of Goldman or City or JP Morgan or whatever. But kind of where I've gone down this path of being with small businesses and kind of entrepreneurial environments, that was a way better fit for me. Right. So, mm-hmm. a couple of moments and we'll jump into where I'm at today. So, I sit down with two of the partners, one guy, Larry Rogers, he's the gray haired guy of the group. And he's like the grandfatherly, like mentor type, you know, persona, New York banker. He's got the ties, clean cut. I mean, he's like, son, what do you want to do with your life? And I had nothing good to say. So I don't even remember what I said, but he's like, oh, come on. What, do <laughs> what do you say? I'm calling it out. You got that question again right now. Let's hear your answer today. Man, I but I I'm, I got hindsight bias, so it, it, it's it's okay. not even relevant, <laughs> right? But, right? But here's what he said. He goes, you know, he goes, Timmy, if I could do it all over again, he goes, I'd travel the world. He goes, finance is global. He goes, I'd live in Singapore. I'd live in London. He go, and I was like, ooh, shit, London, that's cool. And I had never, uh, I I went to Italy once with my uh, my sister. She studied abroad, so we had a family vacation there. We visited her in college. But outside that, I traveled a bunch, but it was like going to Georgia, going to Florida, going to Connecticut, playing golf tournaments, right? Yeah. But this international thing was like intriguing. And I walked out of that room. I'd never thought about London before, but shit, I thought about London every single second of the day. From that point on, I I talked to every London alum at at Bryce, (laughs) um, every London alum that was in banking, um, nonetheless. I said, what did you do? Right? And so... Uh, I, I was just like, I'm going to get there. I'm going to figure out who else has gotten there and I'm going to replicate what they've done. So that kind of planned the seed and I'll revisit on that. I want to have an international career. So then another guy, Matt Register, he was the younger partner and he was entrepreneur. Like the guy just stumbles into building businesses. I mean, brilliant Jeez. out of the box. Uh, my, I love it. You guys, you know, kind of jive with him. He's Texas guy. He's got a dip in his mouth. You know, wears jeans, and it's like, Matt, you know, why are you wearing a suit today? He goes, Because I don't want to wear a fucking suit, right? I'm a big boy, but he was good. He was a great banker and he was smart and he put stuff together, right? So he sits me down and goes, Timmy, what do you want to do with all this? Where are you going? And again, nothing profound to say, but what he said was, in life and in business, if you could look at what everyone does and look at what they've done to get where they're at, try to figure out the patterns and then figure out a, a way to do it quicker and more outside the box. And he goes, you might take a couple swings and miss, but hell, you're going to move a lot faster in life up that ladder. And I walked out of that and I was like, great. I that's, like that. Yeah, that's evolution, Dude. man. That's generation after generation getting faster, smarter and quicker and stronger. And I mean, that's it. That's just evolution, man. Yeah. So, so the so I, I that that's kind of in my DNA that loving to do it differently. If I can, if I can do it the proven way and blend in with the crowd, or I can spend twice the hours and do it a different way and own it, I'll do it t- twice the hours and own it. That's just that gets me juice in the morning. So that was kind of you know kind of two moments from that. And then so you fast forward, it's like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back. Now I'm I, I've got an, a year of being in Alice. I'm gonna go back to Goldman. I'm gonna work for two two years. 
bust my ass in New York, and then I'm going to raise my hand and say I want to transfer to London. Well, shit, I couldn't get an interview again. <laughs> oh, no. There's something wrong with your name, man. <laughs> oh, man. Good. So, um, you know, uh, now it's like a month before I graduate, and I got to get a job. I got to pay for rent. And, shit. Right? So a buddy of mine, is work, he's the lead developer at a oil and gas company called PLS. They did services. They did. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I'm like, he's like, hey, I can get you a job. He's like, the owner's a sales guy. And he's like, he'll be all over you. Like, in a second, he'll hire you. And it's, he owns the company. And it's not all this HR bullshit and, like, nine rounds of interviewing. I was like, okay, great. So I come in. Guy hires me. But he's a U.S.-only company. And at this time, I am really, really keen on Fun. London. Like, I'm, like, really keen. Yeah. And I, you know, I go in. I'm like, man, I need a job. I need experience. I don't know anything about oil and gas. So that was just a, that was just, I need a job and it happened to be an oil and gas company, right? Yeah. Nothing more sophisticated than that. About three weeks go by, the guy forms a JV with a partner uh, in India for a tech business. And the guy spends all of my first month in London. Dude. So I hear London and I'm like, <laughs> this is I, your I, calling. Yeah. I, I pop my head in the office. I'm like, uh, <laughs> Ronnie, I don't know if you remember me. You just hired me, but what's what's this thing about London? Oh, I just heard something. <laughs> I got a partner, and we're launching this business. It's global, and he's he's spending the month of May. Uh, and this is end of April, by the way, end of April, two thousand eleven. He's spending the month of May in London, and uh, you know we're trying to figure out. No one knows us over there. We don't really have any contacts. I was like, well, how's he getting meetings? It's like, well, you know, we're we're figuring it out. And I was like, well, I'll set up meetings for him. I don't know why I said that, but. He's like, you will? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, London's six hours ahead. And in my mind, I'm like, it is? But I was like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And uh, yeah, no, he's yeah. like, you're going to have to come in like really early. I hired you for another job. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, whatever it takes. Three, four in the morning, I'm in. And he's like, all right. And this is before like global cell phone plans where it's like really easy to just call from anywhere. I had to be in the office using that phone, right? Otherwise, the phone bill would have been like thousands of dollars. So I get in, oh. fast forward, I'm cold calling. I don't know who I'm calling. I don't know any of the companies. I don't know the industry. Set up the guy 50 meetings in May. This, the owner of this company, PLS, Ronnie Wise, is ecstatic. And I'm thinking, and I'm having fun. I'm, these women have British accents. At the time, right, you know, personally for me, I was either going to marry a Latin woman or a British woman. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was really weird. that was a, the two that was the fork in the road and at that time talking to those british uh secretaries i was like this I'm is in. Dream. Like, <laughs> i haven't even seen you but i know yeah you just met so, i love you <laughs> on a, on a side tangent uh my wife's mexican so i ended up going down that road and that's been, <laughs> that's been a win but uh anyways yeah um, so I'm going in, I'm having a blast. I'm just having a blast, right? I'm 22 and talking to these people in London. I'm kind of connecting the, the dots of the dream. Not really. I'm just on the phone, but yeah, having yeah. a blast, right? And I'm thinking, man, if I, if I put in this amount of hard work, maybe, just maybe in two, three years, he'll send me over to London. This is what I'm thinking. June 1st, June 2nd, he calls me in his office, Ronnie Wise does, and he goes, Timmy, you're going to London tomorrow. I go, what do you mean I'm going? He goes, there's a conference, this company called Oil Council. He goes, I'm a founding sponsor. They're really, really good. And yeah. I want you to go, right? So yeah. I'm like, 
holy shit, like this is unbelievable. So now I'm on the plane, I'm literally studying maps of Africa and Europe because I don't know all the countries. Like a complete <laughs> pack, right? I'm just, I'm studying websites, I'm studying the conference agenda. Just a quick study, because I'm like, I'm gonna go in this room. So Oil Council is the company I work for today. Yes. Yeah. C-suite executives, everybody. So I'm like, I'm this, uh, I got height, I'm six foot eight. I got a baby. Damn. Damn. I'm 22 years old. Everyone's going to look at me like, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> the basketball convention or is this the. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I'm a quick study. I'm figuring, I'm trying to read up on everyone I can. And I did a lot of listening early on, but this actually developed my style of doing business, of really being knowledgeable. Wow. So I'll listen yeah. and I would hear something like, oh, I read that. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I read about that last week. And I just met John over here who did your banking. He said it was a great deal. And I like earned credibility through appearing to be knowledgeable about what was going on. Not appearing. You did it. You had yeah, it. No, yeah. no and you got a little bit of fake it till you make it in the beginning. But then after five conversations, you use what you learned, the five conversations for the next five and the next five. Yeah. And then by, I mean, know, the, the, fake, the fake it till you make it thing, I mean, works, you know, opening a conversation maybe, but you yeah. know, when you dig into the details, it's either sure. you got it or not, right? You can't bullshit the details. hundred percent. So that, um, you know, out of necessity, that became my style. And at the time I was selling software. I, I didn't need to know all this stuff. I would talk about their financials and their operational plans. It's just, I would build a rapport and connect with them through that style. So that, that was just a blast. So now I, I'm, I'm in London. It's the first time, um, June 2011. By the end of that year, I was in London seven times. Three years later, I was in Hong Kong. I was in Australia. I was in Brazil, Colombia, yeah. uh, Nairobi, Africa, Cape Town, South Africa, Paris, Calgary. I mean, guys sent me all over the world. I'm forever grateful, right? He put me on, took a chance on me, worked my butt off, but... Gave me the at-bat, right? And I ran hard with it and built up a really nice uh, business form on the international side. And um, at, the, at the end of that, was looking to make a transition for some personal reasons. There's a lot of travel. I loved it, but I, start, I met my now wife at the end of that. It just didn't make sense to be three, four weeks a month overseas, right? Not right. Level so, up. Yeah, when you're young, when you're like 22, 23, 24, oh, time of your life, right? Yeah. But when it's time to settle down, it's, you know. You yeah, spend time with the so fam. Part of you loves the travel, but then the other part is like, damn, you know, like I got this girl I'm in love with, and it's like I'm in a hotel by myself in Hong Kong, okay. halfway across the world. So yeah. it's like it's like you, it's exciting, but also like a drag. It's a weird, no. dichotomy yeah. Of emotion. yeah, it's like this. It's this bittersweet moment, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So again the moment man yeah it's a level upgrade you're like all right yeah. I'm, I'm 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 leveling up <laughs> i don't know yeah. what it is, so, so all this travel who did i do it on the back of i did it on the back of this networking platform called oil council and i yeah. was friends with the owners they're all younger they're in their 30s so it was work hard play hard go to the conference network meeting you know meetings from 8 a.m to 6 p.m and at the end of it it's like hey tim we're going out to the bar and it's just like you're hanging out with kind of buddies, right? So we developed this friendship with the owners and my network was their network. I was really good at just hustling and, and biz dev. At Oil Council, you basically sell networking, right? You sell the handshake. Mm. So when I was looking to make a switch, I was like, man, I have so much respect. This company is awesome. The culture is awesome. Client, I'm a raving fan. I'm a client. I mean, this 
people love this brand. I would love to go work for them. Let me just see, right? And so I made that call one day um, and they were like, shit, Timmy, like, will you start yesterday? <laughs> so that was a huge, uh, you know, weight off my shoulders. I didn't know what I was going to do next and uh, hopped over to them, uh, been with them for about seven years. Wow. And it's been, and they're just a great company, great people. Uh, what, what I do now all day long, this is, you know, proximity is power, peer group is power, whatever the sayings are. I spend my entire day, whether it's phone calls or meetings, mingling and networking and picking the brains of CEOs of all gas companies, the heads of PE funds and the heads of investment banks in energy. Wow. What a and so, man. Yeah, so it's, um, you know, uh, I, I remember about three, four years ago, I was thinking to myself, man, I love this company and I'm, I'm making more money and got, I'm meeting all these great people, but shit, like I'm, this is, I'm like getting towards the end of my twenties. I'm like, am I supposed to pivot? Like, I don't want to, you know, narrow myself into a career where I, all of a sudden I lose optionality after a certain age. Yeah. Do I go get an MBA. Should I go to, into banking? Should I go into PE? I got this network. What do I do with it? And, you know, a couple of years in, I became really close with the founder, Ian Pitt, um, who's still with the company today. And we're both very similar, very entrepreneurial, like to think outside the box, love strategy. We really connected on that, but it very quickly went from, oh, how, how's your pipeline doing? What, how's business doing to thinking about strategy, how to grow the business? And we really connected on that. And I, I realized, man, this is not a conference business to me. This is an education building a, a small business. Lifestyle. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that was the light bulb. And I'm like, I'll stay here as long as the journey takes me because this is just the longer I stay, the relationships are everything. And I'm, I'm building now that I have a family, I'm older, you, uh, you build, you, you can relate to people differently. Um, the right. person, the kid who's hustling and just gets along with folks. So yeah. that, I just, I, I love what I'm doing. Uh, and I, I'm loving the journey and the business platform is incredible. And it, you just, when you, when you constantly hang around smart, intelligent people that are paving the way in the two most important industries in the world, finance and oil and gas. Uh -huh. things happen right like mm -hmm. you know you can appear a lot smarter than you actually are uh, by osmosis so that's where i'm at today and uh it, it's just been a, it's been a wild ride right yeah it has yes <laughs> i mean you just took us through that i have this incredibly uh grown uh, respect and and all kinds of things for you from that just that just that conversation alone. That's why we do what we do. It's the happy hour of the show. Exactly. And, yeah, I mean that was incredible, dude. And and you said two things towards the end. You said there's a relationship that you have now at Oil and Gas Council. There's a relationship you make at the end of this. And uh, and you also said switch. So we are gonna switch to the drill down segment of the show. Do you like how I did that? <laughs> All right. Now, but I like the way that we stopped with relationships, right? Because we're talking about today, the oil and gas industry in regards to an interesting part of the business and a very, very important part of the business. It's the relationship between the people and the operator, the business of getting oil and gas out of the ground and the people who deserve to get paid because they're living there and they're a part of it. It's my land, my minerals. Simple example. So you have this relationship that has to be built and it has to move quickly and it has to be based. It has to 
fundamentally uh, accept the fact that there is respect here. There is, you know, a, a serious uh, venture going adventure going on here, and we're on the same road, and we're trying to build it. And what I got from your story, which is so fascinating to me, is that at a time right now when there's a lot of uncertainty, oil and gas council is has been strategizing how to develop this business with what I obviously see as very smart and, and driven and good guys and girls. So bang, you guys are now in the COVID situation. We as an operator, or if I could speak on the side of operations, we're trying to continue to put good science and good money into the ground to sustain stability, you know, stable production and make, make more money than we spend. We got to get this done. It's, it's, it's post COVID-19, man. It's day one. Let's do it. How do yeah. we, where's that um, at? Yeah. So, uh, you know, everyone kind of know, uh, it reminds me of nine 11, right? Like you remember where you were when it happened. Like I remember where I was when I realized, holy shit, like the world's going to stop for a while and the oil price war happened simultaneously. Yeah. Um, now for us, uh, we've gone through some downturns. The, the oil price, the oil price crash in 14 to 16, mm. our business grew. So I was always like, yeah, you know, hard work, hustle, you know, you always hear these things. Yeah, I go to a lot of business seminars for like personal development. It's like, who here is under the age of 30? And then, you know, you raise your hand and that means you haven't been through the financial crisis firsthand. Mm -hmm. Like, well, you, you don't know what it's like to be punched in the mouth yet. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I hear it, the crashes, but it, how, how much worse can it get in oil and gas, right? We've had some pretty tough times the last decade. Well, when your business model's banned, when you do live, when your P&L sits on live events and, and that becomes banned, and then on top of that, the industry you're in is getting decimated from commodity price perspectives. Whoa, that was interesting. Um, now, you know, the entrepreneurial side of me, although it was painful and there's some tough moments, it was like, okay, what, roll up the sleeves, what do we do now, right? What do we have that's an advantage and an asset? What do we have that can help people? And how do we add value? Uh, I always think the number one question is, if you, how can you add value to clients? Uh, you guys, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but just jiving with you right now. I know you really uh, love Gary Vaynerchuk stuff. Um, he's a big entrepreneur, marketing guy. He's oh, got yeah. a big podcast, big personality. He has Gary a Vee, right? Gary V. Hell yeah. Gary V. So Gary V has a saying called 5149. He's like, if you give 51% and expect 49% back in every interaction in business with employees, with clients, you always have leverage. You always give more than you expect in return is, is the punchline. Mm -hmm. and, and so that was always the, and our business culture is, is built around that. I have complete freedom to operate under that framework. So I'm sitting there right away and I'm like, what do we do to add value? Um, we have this network that that's, you know, we're not just selling conferences. That was just how we monetize our efforts. We can connect people. So right off the bat, I said, I got to align myself with people who are, well positioned to excel right now. Giving an example outside of all guests to everyone understands. Zoom, right? Zoom was well positioned to crush it. COVID was probably the best thing that ever happened in that company oh. um, from a business perspective. So in the context of all guests, which companies, tech companies, services companies, who is needed right now? 
let me align myself with those folks, do rev share partnerships and give them access and let them hit the gas pedal and go, go, go. And we can help them do that. So that was March. I remember I was in Austin hosting a dinner. Everything's starting to unravel. By Thursday, I was in Canada. Trump was shutting down flights from Europe. I was like, holy hell, I got to get back home. I don't want to get stuck in Canada. Wow. That, that next Friday, I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking of this pivot, right? I'm not thinking, oh, how do we make conferences work? I'm just like, throw it out. Throw out the book. Yeah. What else can you do? So yeah. started fiddling with that stuff. And, you know, in that brainstorm, what I really came you know, upon was, okay, how do we, what are the parts of our network where we can add the most value? So holistically, I know what to look for. Now, what are the little niches or pockets? And mm-hmm. I, I overlook Latin America, I overlook Canada, and I overlook the US market for our business. Um, wow. all, all verticals, right? Renewables, upstream, midstream services. And as I went down the box, whether it's the dynamics of the market, uh, restructuring, price pressures, debt, political challenges. Uh, there's a lot of areas that were gridlocked or the dust hadn't settled and it didn't really make a whole lot of sense to just spin your tires. Yeah. But one space that made a lot of sense was minerals and royalties. And it was already a big focus of mine. Minerals and royalties, you don't, you have small companies, so you don't have the, the massive rounds of layoffs and the restructuring. They don't use debt. Wow. Buy, yeah. You have super majors that obviously can come in and pick things up if they need to based on whatever they want, right? Yeah. So there's money there that need, that's probably going to get spent. I mean, that was, yep, that's. And that's, I mean, in inherently minerals, right? They're property as well, right? And you yeah, know, property and has their ups and downs, but over the long term, it's always going to be trending up, right? You're always going to be adding value to that. Yeah, you. Uh... You're buying directly from individuals, and, and mm-hmm. so that I'm not involved in that. I deal with the corporates and the investors that that aggregate minerals. But what triggers a an individual to let go of their minerals? A life event. What is a life event? Could be something positive, like a wedding, or you know, wanting to buy a second, you know, a second home on the beach or whatever. Or you Oftentimes know, it's financial stress. It's yeah. losing a job. It's a business going under. Bills. COVID and the oil price war on top of each other was this double black swan event that no one's ever seen in minerals that if you had money potentially could, could be the best buying opportunity of your life. So I knew that fundamentally. I said, well, shit, let me, uh, let me phone a couple dozen of these royalty CEOs that I know and just see where they're at. Right. Are, Are they, are they going crazy and licking their chops? Are they, you know, their investors saying, whoa, 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 the world, we don't know what the world looks like. Stop. So I started uh, speaking to folks, you know, PE back folks, pubcos, pension back guys, family office guys. Uh, and the, the feedback was so different and it was so different from what they were doing before. So there was a shift in thinking. There's also a lot of uncertainty in what everyone else was doing. Yeah. Wow. So I was a sounding board for folks in the absence of travel. Wow. So right away I saw, and I was like, this is it. This is what we're going to focus on a hundred percent really understand how, you know, how are we going to make money off of it? But building up the goodwill and just building up the relationships and doing the right thing. We knew at least for three, four months would, would be a good bet long-term. Wow. We started a minerals podcast, uh, which really took off in, in the early goings far more than we 
anticipated, I think, originally. So we start putting more attention to that. Nice. We getting inbounds from that. Then we're like, what else can we do, right? Yeah. Start doing webinars. We start doing uh, – we, we partnered with a land company on, on reports they put out called the Pulse Report. So we started doing all these things in marketing. And uh, lo and behold, you kind of wake up six, seven months later, and you're like, we got a hell of a marketing platform here, and we got inbounds all day long. Yeah. funds, investors I've never heard of. And my job is to know everybody. This is wild, right? And all I'm doing is talking to folks. I'm just on the back of all, I'm just swimming in the wake of this marketing machine. <laughs> and I, I can see who's registering, who's signing up. Yeah. I'm like, man, I, I've never been able to talk to that guy. Let me call him. Or I've never heard of this family office. And then it became a real easy pitch. I, I would call him up and say, hey, you know, Tim Powell with the Oil and Gas Council, I've spoken with 300 mineral CEOs in the last three months. Would love to trade thoughts on the market. Wow. A lot of people were compelled to kind of hear what we were hearing and seeing. Yeah. And we made a lot of intros trying to help people. Hey, so-and-so is in between funds and they're looking for capital partners. You guys should chat. Or so-and-so's got extra deal flow. Um, they, you know, they, they want to, you know, sell, sell some of it down. Whatever it was, I was connecting the dots and, it's that all of a sudden now it's like, well, wait a second. We got this really narrow focus, which was just a spoke on the stool before. Now we really got something here and we're, you know, we know everyone we have, we're building these amazing relationships. What I love too, a lot of mineral CEOs are around my age, right? They're young guys they are in their thirties, yeah. early forties. And so we're all got little kids. I'm connecting in a personal way. I never did before. Wow. And um, who knows, right? I mean, it's, that's why I'm on this thing. I mean, I reached out to you, Troy, right? Collabing in the podcast world. It's just when you, when you got attention, you're building relationships and that, that snowball starts to run, uh, roll down the hill. Right. And it's like, okay, the momentum's here. Let, what can we do? Dude. <laughs> I was going to say, so uh, not to backtrack a little bit, but you're talking about this shift you know, with all these land EMP companies or, you know, these companies that are going out just, you know, acquiring minerals. So, from my experience and then experience with like, you know, talking with family members who happen to own minerals in, in different counties. So for example, like Lee County, right? Uh, one of these, you know, companies would send out a letter saying, hey, we'll pay you $5,000 per acre for your minerals. Sure. Meanwhile, you know, they're, someone who's, you know, out of the industry would say, wow, like that's a ton of money. But then, you know, you look at a, you know, a, a permit map and it's like, oh, Exxon's actually going to be drilling a well on your land probably in the next like three months. So, you know, they're getting like cut under the table. So how has that well, industry well, changed really, where you're. Right? So I don't think the, the whole like landowners being unsophisticated and getting screwed. I don't think that happens that much. I think there's enough data out there. I think they've also, they're getting enough letters. They're getting market ed education on what their stuff's worth. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a worry they're getting screwed. Um, and there's a lot of tech companies out there that are starting to bring free data to the table to give landowners the ability to assess. Oh yeah. What do I own? What is it worth? And this date kind of like a, if you're going to list your home, um, you go to, realtor.com or you know, any of these listing sites, you see comps in the area, same types of stuff are starting to form in, in minerals. But yeah, to go back well, to I was going to say a, a lot of mineral owners in Texas too. I mean, in areas that we've worked, 
I mean, they'll have their own LLC, right? They You'll lease the minerals not in their name. It's a second company, right? For tax purposes. So that's just goes to show how sophisticated it's become. But then, you know, there are the people who, you know, just don't know what they have. So, so listen, one guy put it best, a mineral CEO in Midland. He goes, Tim, listen, we always talk to folks and we try to be transparent. We say, hey, you want to make a slow dime or a quick nickel, right? And that's just a catchphrase that makes sense, right? It's like, yeah. What's your time value on money? And exactly. Do, do you want that house in Cabo or, you know, do you want to make daddy's little princess have an amazing wedding? Whatever it may be, whatever your driver is, <laughs> or, uh, you know, you got divorced and you, got, you I don't love have these metaphors. Are so I mean, <laughs> but I think, uh, kind of going back to COVID and the dynamics of shifting. So if you can imagine you, you guys own minerals and you are in the core of the core, of Midland or Martin County or Eddie or Lee or whatever. Um, and you're getting offers for 20, 30,000 an acre. Now, and you're, you're getting it from 10, 12 groups, right? Yeah. You guys are phoning you all the time. <clears throat> That's in February. In April, you're getting offers for 10. So the, when I told you about this could be the best buying opportunity of a lifetime for minerals, uh, companies the bid ask spread was severe and you know for oh, folks who have been in the industry a while that they they know it takes six months or so to let the market recalibrate but it, yeah uh, it's still in march people are like oh my god like this is maybe there's so much fear in the system that yeah. stuff is going to be let go but in places like the permian where the prices were so high yeah the discounts even if it was you know, the, the money is the same. Minerals buying in, in the Eagleford, in the Bakken, in the Haynesville, in the Permian, it's all the same money, right? It's all the same institutions looking for the same yield. Mm -hmm. So when you, we have to discount underwriting because of market scenarios and commodity price uh, declines and, you know, uncertainties in the market, let's just call it 50% for simple math. When you cut 30,000 half to 15, that's a 15 grand an acre drop when you were getting eight grand an acre in the Bakken and it goes down to four that's a four grand an acre drop just a pure monetary value there i, I think has led the permian to be more of a uh, of gridlock because of bid ass spreads mm -hmm. um and mineral owners will tell you uh, mineral companies will tell you man we're our, we were our own worst enemy we educated the market on what these prices were now we got to re-educate them on what the new prices are. And they're going to be uncomfortable conversations. Oh, yeah. But we can't afford to pay the same prices. The world's different. Right. Mm -hmm. but that was a shift for sure. Dude, and that's a, such a real example for me to, <clears throat> to help explain the phenomenon, if you will, of, of a publicly trading company or, or people that are very public in what they are doing. When did all of a sudden, you know, our our empathy get to the level at which the you know it has changed and how money was made and how things were do, were going has fundamentally changed if you're outside that reality you're like oh there's you know just bad business and moving money and you know something's going on there because it, it looks that bad how could it crash so hard how could you be you know your company completely be done it, and and all of us you know you had all this money and now it's done well, that's the reality of it. 
exactly what you're just saying. And you can pivot. And as a publicly trading mm -hmm. company, you got to be vocal about that pivot, which is very difficult because it takes six months to a year for things to fucking settle. It is yeah. that simple. It's the reality of it. But instant gratification and everything else and what's going on, everyone's, you know, settle down. <laughs> we got to have time and we are out of control of time completely. <clears throat> One thing that's universally true we don't control time <laughs> yeah it's uh i mean there's a shift in wall street for sure right so money was absolutely incinerated the last five years of permian it's not my words that's that's the words of the experts in the industry we have an investor podcast yeah. that my colleague ben west runs and you know basically they were you know companies have been investing over 100 percent of their free cash flow and making returns less than their prep rate or their cost of capital. Mm -hmm. Give me a real, give me an actual dollar uh, example of that, real quick. No, I mean uh, it, it depends on the scale of the dollars. But if if you're making a uh, million dollars in free cash flow, which if you're running a private business, operating cash is the name of the game. Profits and top line revenue, and all, all it's just numbers on paper, but what kind of what cash do you have in the bank to pay out and payroll and distributions and everything that that's the key when that operating cash or just revenue minus your expenses when you're reinvesting over 100% of that so now you you're talking about using leverage and debt so now you're kind of going in hot to drill more wells to keep the keep ahead of your decline curves and you can say oh, okay well growth 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 um, you know the the returns are there but then your cost of capital is 8% and you're getting 6%. Mm. So you're overspending money you don't have and you're getting returns that are less than your cost of capital. And it's just been- Right, you don't uh, get returns. And, and listen, I'm not being overly critical of you know the, the, the EMP companies and, and the, the clients we work with out there, but this is just what investors are saying. No. So after a while, all of a sudden the music stops, the, perm, you know, the land grab is over and, and Wall Street goes, whoa, wait a second we're we're not making any money here let's stop grabbing stuff let's start drilling and seeing how good this stuff is let's start making cash flow and start giving distributions to our investors yeah shareholders if you're public and that you know that's where the music has stopped a little bit and companies have gotten in trouble and so they're over levered and now the 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 capital uh stops flowing in the bank debt lines shrink a little bit. You can't keep drilling the wells. You can't keep, you know, the, you can't keep it up. Right. And all of yeah. a sudden, you know, the bottom falls out and, and then on top and then COVID happens. Right. And then the oil price war happens. And then it's like, you're, you're kind of on shake on thin ice. And all of a sudden someone drops a rock in the middle of the, the pond you're standing on. Um, and so that's really what happened in the industry. Right. So, it's it's challenged, um, and so you need uh, just a, a fundamental difference in the operating models and everything uh, to get capital back. You need companies to go back to old school, you know, produce out models yeah. operating within cash flow. Yeah. I think the uh, exactly the, the unconventional boom, the shale revolution, it was like the double-edged sword is the best thing that ever happened and the worst thing, right? Cause it opened up Pandora's box and I think greed. And, you know, some people made a shit ton of money flipping stuff. Oh, yeah. Someone gets caught holding the bag. It's just like, 
That's right. Bubble markets, right? You, you flip in, in 08. People were buying houses and flipping them, flipping them. They make tons of money. And then somebody didn't flip it. Damn. So the, the ones in the house analogy that haven't been able to flip it are the ones with tier two and tier three assets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a, it raises a very interesting thing, obviously, from our perspective and the show we did last week. You know, we come from the science side, and, and so we are hopeful in the technical <laughs> abilities of what's going to happen and how to respond to the pr- the pressure you're talking about is incredible. And we will respond. It's just the history of the basin. you got got 100 years of, of that model proven. Every time the Permian gets stressed, it comes through and prevails in a whole other way. Uh, so with that being said... I feel like, and and just to speculate on oil industry in general as, is it going to be good or bad in the next few years? I I definitely have a the idea that it's going to be good. I think there's going to be something that the demand is without question there. No matter how you want to shape up the renewables, it's they're not building these, uh, they don't have the wind farm. What they're doing is using the resources from hydrocarbon to to power the facilities that are making the parts and putting the windmills together. That's demand. And I'm rooting for them. Hey, this is good stuff. Uh, let's figure it out. So the demand is there with that business. Money's moving on. The world goes, keeps going on. Uh, and then I don't think the, the traffic has necessarily shut down too much. I mean, you need one or two pilots to take a huge plane of cargo materials somewhere. That's, that's COVID restriction welcoming. That's fine. We don't need all the people. That's a, that's a hit. All the people, 150 people on an Airbus is going all over the place. That's a hit. But people are driving People are spending money. Go to your local grocery stores and ask your gas station attendant how many times they see the same people all day long. Supposed to be working from home? <laughs> they cruise in in their pajamas, grabbing a Coke, go back. Oh, they cruise back. They grab a bag of potatoes. Oh, they cruise back. I mean, it, they're seeing them several times a day. And it, just hang out for a while. It's true. Uh, people are ordering the food. The restaurants are, are adapting to that. And unfortunately, that is like a 70% hit probably on their profits to, to just make food and not make the environment. That's a huge hit. We're adapting. I see the demand and I see prices being uh, manageable for people to make some serious money in the future. So yeah. here's here's what I think. I think that um, you the, the whole, you know, arguing against renewables and everything, that, that's like arguing against your wife on something logical and it, it's really an emotional context and you're never gonna win that, right? You're never going to win it. Ends in a thing you yeah. do is you have to align yourself. The, the client of mine said it best. He said, "There's ways you can make ESG a tailwind, not a headwind." And and how do you? Where, where am I going with that? So, for starters, you need to, as an oil and gas company, lower your carbon footprint. And if you, as we get more uh, transparent on benchmarking data, water usage, not using fresh water, not not flaring not venting methane, um, using environmentally friendly chemicals, doing stuff like uh, instead of using diesel generators, invest in a self-consumption solar farm that powers your operations in the Delaware. And, and now, you know, you, you do all these things and you create a company. And if you're in the tertiary EOR field uh, as, a, as an EMP company, CO2 injection. Now you have a negative carbon footprint. 
There's all right. sorts of things you can do like that, that you can now go and say, we're a green operator. If yep. you, if you, as an investor, it, so listen, if an investor says oil and gas equals bad, we're not touching it, dirty oil, yada, yada, yada. I don't, I don't think, I think those folks are gone, right? But there are a lot of funds out there that say, we need to be environmentally sensitive in the capital we deploy. And if, if they're sensible yep. and they say, oh, wow, okay, the world needs energy and you have a lower carbon footprint than actually, you know, a renewables plant that, you know, needs batteries and lithium and everything. Like if you just break down the math and you can show that capital will be there. And so I think that's the shit that's needed. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the shit that's so, needed. And that's, those are the kinds of things I hear about. There's some inherent challenges there for companies that have legacy operations and assets that, you know, have been in production for a while and were developed in an environment that, you know, didn't have the same standards. A perfect example, client the other day said, it's really unfair. Oil and gas companies get judged on everything they've always done and every asset they own. If you went to Toyota and said, hey, Toyota, uh, you got some cars from the 70s. I need you to, to retrofit them to have the same emission standards as today. Oh, by the way, do it and make money. It's not fair, yeah. right? So, but that's what's being asked of an oil and gas company. So do you have uh, carve-outs, right? Of, of companies or startups that kind of build assets in this way, or there's some sort of deep demarcation, some line in the sand where, where you do drop down entities and you can have more kind of ESG operating, operating co. Right. And the industry, there's so many smart people here and there's too much money and there's too much need for oil and gas for, for it to just wither away and die. Like people think it might um, that yeah. are against the industry. So you look at um, carve out structures and you know taking stuff in your balance sheet and repurposing it in different entities and realizing more value. Um, you know, royalties is an example that EMPs have spun royalties out. EMPs are starting to spin midstream assets out. Like there's something around that, um, and and folks are going to figure it out. I know clients who have raised money from pension funds in Europe. Never invested in oil and gas, and they're ESG funds. They operate in the permit. Wow. No, I love that, man. I love the fact that the, the way you can actually move some money in this industry still is by taking on the ESG regulations and proving how much more efficient and safer and better you got. Oh, and by the way, here's some new technology that's really promising for making things work better and to make more money, move the profit margins as well. And as well, it, you, you're seeing it. Thank you for uh, for saying that because I was kind of going crazy in my head. Maybe I'm wrong, but no, you, that is gearing up for the same reasons that I would be gearing up for as an operator, for sure. Yeah, when, when we did your podcast the other day, Troy, um, you know, you were talking about the different ways you're looking at the technical side and understanding how different chemicals can unlock the reservoir in a, right. in a more effective way. Yeah, that, right. you know, so now if you start to blend in the environmentally responsible angles of that and you can combine the two, that's powerful. Yeah. That's right. And uh, just another question. I'm, my brain is just turning. So, you know, the, the old way that these banks were investing 
in these various EMP companies, right? You know, like here's like, you know, $200 million worth of capital. This is your acreage, go develop. And then, you know, hopefully, like you said, we make that money back at the end of the day and we can either flip it to a bigger operator, blah, 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 whatever that initial model was. So do you see now these investors, like you said, it's a combination of this ESG, but is it also very reliant on like current PDP? Because this, this kind of this mindset of, Hey, like we have this asset, there's no production on it, but you know, looking around, uh, these other operators are doing really well. It seems like that's kind of, you know, by the wayside. One of a, a real conundrum that the conventional, the unconventional boom created was this excess inventory dilemma. You actually, mm -hmm. because of SEC rules, reserves beyond five years kind of drop off your balance sheet. Um, and it's, it's, it doesn't, and that's a shift in wall street kind of wanting more cash flow and, and returns and, um, shifting the value around that, which is not wrong by the way. Right. I mean, they, yeah. they need to make money, but exactly. It's also makes no sense. Like how could somebody spend billions of dollars on acreage and then get punished for having that on their, their balance sheet. Mm -hmm. And it's just so much money is needed to develop these reserves in the, in the Permian. And before, we, so I did an episode with Adam Watrous, brilliant guy, ran banking for Scotiabank for 20 years and retired and started a private equity fund in Calgary three years ago. And he, he you know, walks through it and he said there was a change. There's a line in the sand in 2000, whenever the shale revolution started, we'll, we'll kind of, when it starts to peak around 2010. Pre-2010, oil and gas companies were in you know resource scarcity mode it was harder to drill for production than it was to buy it so companies yeah, yeah. would grow through m a right now it's easier to drill it than to buy it because people already have too much stuff yeah. so that's why um a has the m a demands kind of eroded over the years uh in 2014 to 16 everyone was saying consolidation 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 well normally you know, folks with capital buy companies on the cheap and, and it doesn't matter if it's tier three or two, three assets, there's always a price. Yeah. And what Adam described is companies have 20 plus years of drilling inventory. They don't need more inventory. They just need tier one stuff. So now they're going to cherry pick. And, and as a result, you only see a few M and a transactions during these downturns. It's structural change in the dynamics of the space, which is really interesting right now. On the back of that comment, we've seen a bunch of consolidation recently. And I just think that's, you know, there's no new things, right? It's just history repeating itself probably. And I wasn't around this time, but late nineties, early two thousands, when the super majors and the majors were, were developed, uh, that was a time where it was low oil prices. It was all about scales, all about driving costs out of your business model. So I think that's what we're experiencing now, but it's, it's challenging, right? So if you combine these companies and you you get the efficiency gains of cutting out some GNA, well then after that first year cutting out that GNA, where does the where does the extra change come from or the extra benefits uh, outside of an oil price jump? Well, I got a client. He says, you know, Tim, if you put two drunk sailors next to each other and have them lean against each other back to back, doesn't make one sober sailor. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like i have my concerns about 
these these mergers fixing it right you got to have structural change within the companies and exactly not getting into the weeds right i'm not trying to oversimplify the scenarios of running these companies right who am i to say i mean there's a lot of smart people running these companies but yeah it's not like it's just you merge and you remove five percent of the cost and then off you go so it's uh it's a complex problem ahead but free markets innovation and yeah it goes it goes back to what you said right i mean when COVID hit you immediately the first things you thought were how do we adapt right there's gonna there's some light at the end of this tunnel and i think that is also an issue that a lot of these majors do have is because they're like you said they're so stuck in their ways not that they don't want to change but i guess it's more of a function of they don't know the most efficient way to change or adapt right out of the gate right because this, yeah. this is a scenario we've never deal, dealt with before we're yeah. technically in the completion part of the show i think i just want to oh. throw that in Go. <laughs> okay so uh we we just did on our investor series podcast we just did an episode with mark viviano at Cambridge energy mm-hmm. we just did a big financing with cal and it'd be familiar so this guy came over from Wellington. So he was a, you know, one of the largest institutional investors in the energy side for a long time. And he just said, the incentives are just, the management incentives are wrong. They're not aligned with investors. And they're basically running an activist fund. He said, we need to come in and just force change and board and management behavior. Uh, And it's it's really cool how he articulated, right? He's able to put numbers behind things and the story. That's it. I mean, that there's, um, you know, on the, on the ESG side, I think we, we did an episode with Enverus. Enverus, uh, R, RS Energy merged with them. RS was a really good client. Is that Enverus. Drilling Info? Yeah. Yeah, Drilling Info is underneath yeah. the Enverus brand. Okay. So really, really smart folks come from the RS side. Oh, yeah. And uh, they have a specialist looking at ESG and digging, that, digging in all the data and reverse engineering the benchmarks that investors need to follow is to pick the winners from the losers from an ESG perspective. Really cool. They're basically trying to create the benchmarks because there aren't any. Um, uh, and, and he was, you know, he, he was just talking about all the different things that companies could do up, you know, older equipment leaks more and, you know, different types of tanks and, and all, all this stuff. But he gave a case study at, I want to say with Shell, don't quote me on that. There's a company in the Permian that gave management incentives to increase emissions X percent, and they found a way to increase or decrease uh, ESG footprint or carbon footprint by like 70% in their Permian operations for like literally like a million dollars. Like it was so cheap. Whoa. Because they were incentivized to do it. They got both. Yeah. They put... There, but if it's kind of always playing defense and you know going down that road, but if you align people and put Sick. the same ingenuity that got us to where we are with the shale revolution behind this, and you embrace the energy transition side, energy transition doesn't necessarily mean renewables. Right. It yeah. just means cleaner energy. So, I mean, want to know an easy one? Like coal and natural gas, right? There's places in the world that are like burning peat for energy. Yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, it's super politicized, right? You guys know that. But, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think um, there's a way to kind of look at that and really embrace it. Uh, and, you know, wh- whoever does that and 
can communicate effectively with capital markets will kind of lead the way for bring capital back for sure. Man, that's great, dude. It's great to hear that, you know, there's there's definitely logical plans moving forward. There's money without question. It's not like it just disappeared. It, we're pushing forward and now it's following the Inverus and, and that company and how that computer essentially is building the standards. The computer is making these strong suggestions to create these rules or, or these concepts. And man, we got to get into that situation because I hope they're really taking in consideration the science. It's not just emo emotionals with people and governing problems. There's a revolution happening in earth science. Our understanding of the hydrocarbon itself and what it's actually doing what you know what are we cleaning up from the atmosphere this is not just oil and gas science is talking about you know taking it all in and and really diving that down and and creating new solutions and new ideas so that's got to be taken in that's good stuff man yeah carbon capture this is not something i'm very well versed on but last year we gave our lifetime achievement award to howard newman he's the founder of pinebrook partners I, basically the grandfather of oil and gas private equity, right? He was with Warburg in the 80s. I mean, incredible guy, super smart. His passion project right now is he's on the board of the Salk Institute in California. The Salk Institute is one of the leading think tanks or not-for-profits around uh, biology, I think. So yeah. Don't quote me on that. But basically what they've been looking at is, you know, genetically modifying plants to bury carbon in the ground. And he said that, you know, everyone's talking about removing, you know, reducing emissions from oil and gas. Yeah. He goes, the natural carbon cycle takes carbon out of the atmosphere. He goes, the better question is we need to, what's the delta of the carbon that's excess in the environment? Instead yeah. of it being, I'm making up the numbers, but if it's, 790 gigatons gets buried of carbon uh, on an annual basis, but 810 are being put out in the atmosphere. The net is 20. So the question is, instead of us lowering, you know, our emissions by 20 or 30 gigatons in a growing global economy and grow, growing global population, um, you know, and did all the things, right? You, we get more efficient with energy. What do we do? Does that mean we conserve it? No, it means we don't give a shit. We leave the lights on. We drive longer distances, right? I mean, it's basic human behavior. <laughs> he said, we got yeah, more of it. Use it. A hundred percent. I mean, that's just, what are you going to do? Right? I mean, exactly. Six, man. Leave your lights on. Oh, we'll also just to, on. just to confirm it is biology. It is yeah. biology. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Super Bi biological studies. Wow. But, what are they doing there? What's this? Oh, anyway, that sounds. It, I mean, it's it's fascinating. He um, when he accepted our award at, at our dinner, we threw for him. He was his podium to really talk about it, and I, I think they're on on path to, you know, in the next ten years, maybe reduce carbon emissions in the atmosphere almost fifty percent, and this is by genetically modifying plants and planting plants, and this is. What's what's the cost around that? Not that much relative no. to all these crazy things you hear about. So, and, and he's also said, do you know from the seventies onwards, how more, how much efficiency as a society globally we've had in terms of energy consumption, but per GDP, we've grown four X. So when you, you net it out, the 
everyone's getting more efficient, but there's more people and we're, yeah. we're wealthier. So we're using more energy. So it's a race you're losing. There's just mm-hmm. continuing to be more. So you got to figure out how to get it out. It's just a different way to look at it. And it's, it's, it's minds like that that solve the problems, right? Exactly. I, I honestly believe that I could go to Houston or Katy, Texas, and I'd be like, Tim, I'm in town. I'm chilling. I got the night open, and I think we would enjoy some scotch. Or, you know, I, I truly do believe that, man. You got a great personality, an incredible perspective. I learned a lot about you. Obviously, we did the show uh, last week on your podcast, and now we're talking it uh, from ours. So collaborating with you, man, is an absolute honor on behalf of PBE, and, and, uh, and we hope Let's develop that relationship, whatever that is. You were talking about how the podcast is kind of putting it out there and people that can navigate in the moment and in conversation and keep things flowing and making sense have an opportunity to really spread the message and maybe teach and enlighten. And so, man, if we can do some joint stuff in the future with Oil and Gas Council, we are definitely here to entertain those ideas and that strategy, sir. I love it. Yeah, no, listen, that's the the world of podcasting. It, the, endless possibilities. We write the rules. Um, you know, you're not subject to a channel or, you know, a broadcast deal or something and, um, where we can help each other out and spread our respective messages. That's, that's the name of the game. That's awesome, man. I know Skip's having some phone issues on his battery, so he might've dropped his video there. Uh, but I think we made it. We certainly did in my opinion, man. Uh, I enjoyed this conversation more than, you know, and I'll definitely be reaching out. No, for sure. And like you said, if you, you come into Katie, we'll definitely go out. Like my buddy in college used to say the next morning, thanks for the non-memories. <laughs> I just say I enjoyed this hangover with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Matt, Troy, pleasure, boys. Thanks again for having me on.